On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. We've got some real issues and we have to face up to it, but no one's facing up to it. There's a reason why the social security system is destined to go bankrupt, a leading economist explains. A labor settlement in a union case in Northeast Iowa. And in our business profile, we'll hear about a major North Central Iowa manufacturing expansion. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of April 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. We've heard for generations that the social security system will become insolvent. That has led over time to extending the age for when recipients can take benefits. From simply a math standpoint, it's no wonder the system is in trouble. Creighton University economist Dr. Ernie Goss has studied Social Security benefits compared with life expectancy over time. He reminds us of the original purpose of the program. Well, it's to provide some sort of safety net for individuals as they get older. But of course, originally the first, say 1935, the uh, full retirement age was 65. Well, the life expectancy at that time was under 65. So, in fact, uh, most individuals died before they got any Social Security benefits, and that meant the program remained fairly stable and viable. In fact, it was growing at the time, of course. We're sort of dealing with an outdated mode, are we not, in terms of the, quote, retirement age when you look at longevity and, therefore, how long people need to be on the receiving end of these benefits? Oh, absolutely, Jeff. And in 2022, the retirement age for, say, baby boomers was 67. Well, those baby boomers would then, a male would then collect Social Security benefits for 9.1 years, and a female would collect benefits for 17.1 years of benefits. So that was significantly above just 2000. Year 2000, it was much lower. It was two years less for the male and a good five years less for the female. So we're now collecting more and more. Jeff, there's 70 million, 70 million individuals on Social Security. Those individuals just received a pay raise of 8.2%. So there's really, this is really causing some issues with, of course, the uh, deficit and the debt. And of course, we just now passed the uh, debt ceiling, $31.4 trillion dollars. And we're now living somewhat, I'll, call, I'll say, living on borrowed time. Obviously, the way you look at the issue depends on how old you are. I mean, now that I've turned 60, I don't want you moving the goalpost, if you will, down the line any further. But when we have made a change in the, quote, full retirement age denotation in the past, there's been plenty of time for people to work up to it, correct? Right. And we've always heard, well, I'm... I'm on fixed income, meaning a Social Security benefit. Oh, well, that's hardly the case. In other words, this year, Social Security beneficiaries gained much more than the average worker. And again, 8.2% for the uh, Social Security beneficiary. And as I almost call him famous economist, Herb Stein, chief economist for President Nixon, said, if something can't go on forever, it will stop. And it's going to stop. The question is, who is going to be hurt when it stops? And we'll have to wait and see on that. We just don't know when the merry-go-round will stop. 
Because the way it is set up now, the way that I see it from the material you presented, we're living longer, we're collecting benefits longer, the increase is set by statute, as you say, far more than any uh, of us got a raise in pay last year. This is destined financially just to fail in pretty short fashion. 2030, that's what the Congressional Budget Office estimates. And if we don't do something, of course, that's on top of Medicare. We've got some real issues and we have to face up to it, but no one's facing up to it. We're asking for the debt ceiling to be raised and it will be raised If Congress and the president have any sensibility about them, they will raise the debt ceiling. However, in doing that, there needs to be some, at least acceptance, the fact something needs to be done. And what needs to be done? Well, how about cutting out the $280 billion CHIPS Act that was just passed recently? $280 billion, Jeff. I mean, we cannot continue to spend this kind of money on top of what what we have for Social Security. We often hear people say, well, they want to cut the benefits. I don't think you're advocating for cutting benefits, are you? Or are you just simply laying out fact patterns? Do you take a position as to what would be the most prudent action? Jeff, I'm not laying out anything. We economists, we have the position of just laying it out for a politician to take the heat. But (laughs) that said, we could begin raising the full retirement age, increase it gradually up to several years, And in fact, we could get back to the year 2000 when the age of retirement was 67 and men lived another 7.3 years, females lived another 12.7 years. We could get back to that. Now we have the individuals living longer than that, that'd be men and women. I'm just pointing out that you could raise the full retirement age, the age at which an individual receives the full retirement benefits. You could raise that up to the year 2030, at least make a dent in the debt and also the spending levels that we're talking about. Again, I think what I'm arguing here is throw somebody a bone. In other words, all the Republicans and Democrats are looking on some way out of this morass or this potential cataclysmic event, which is first week of June. If we if something's not done by the Congress in collaboration with the president, we're not going to default on our debt in terms of uh, legally speaking, that's not going to happen. However, we could, in fact, begin slashing some other benefit programs like Social Security, like Medicare, other benefit programs to make sure that we can pay off maturing bonds that we have an obligation for. So that's the real problem going again the first week of uh, June. So if you simply said, look, in the year 2000, roughly a quarter century ago. Men lived, on average, a certain number of years above that full Social Security level. Women lived a different number of years. If we simply say there's the period of time that you collect Social Security, full Social Security, seven years if you're the average male, if we just go back to current life expectancy, back it down seven years, say that's the retirement age, that's going to save an awful lot of money by the time we get to this broke period in 2030. It will, Jeff, and it won't save enough, but I mean, and some will say, well, that's not enough money. Well, you've saved a little here, saved a little there. You have big time savings. I know this may be off target here, but again, back to the CHIPS Act, $280 billion provided to businesses, and it's a subsidy for corporate America, in some ways, the global corporations, 
And let's just talk about the $120 billion to support Ukraine. I'm not arguing for reducing the support for Ukraine. I'm arguing for negotiating, the president negotiating with other nations so that they take on their share of this. I mean, the U.S. is bearing the full, I won't say the full burden, but a heck of a lot of the burden of that. I mean, there's some big dollars out there, Jeff. And right now, the debt is about $95,000 per capita in the U.S. Again, if something can't go on forever, it will stop. It's sort of like our government with the debt ceiling situation is acting like the uh, formerly rich uncle who always handed out big checks to the uh, nieces and nephews uh, for Christmas, and all of a sudden those checks don't cash, and we're acting as a nation like we've got all this surplus, and we're running that huge debt. Absolutely, Jeff, and I'm a baby boomer, and I'm at the front end of that. In other words, it's unlikely that I'll bear the cost, but my parents did not want to hand it off to me. I don't want to hand it off to my children, and my children don't want to hand it off to my grandchildren. I mean, somewhere the merry-go-round needs to stop, at least face up to it. In other words, we have to reduce the spending And that's, of course, one of the methodologies. That's the one I recommend. Reduce the spending by the government, the federal government in this case, to face up with the reality, what growth in our economy is doing. Our economy is not growing as our deficit and our debt is growing. This may be an unfair question, but you'll tell me if it is. From the broad standpoint of what we've been talking about, is this nation in the worst shape it's been in in the past, say, half century? We were facing more threats at that point in time, both financially and economically speaking. Then inflation rate was higher. We had issues with oil prices and that. So I think since then, it probably is the greatest threat. Now, we had the Great Recession of 2008 and nine, where the housing market went into the tanks. Now the housing market is not doing well right now, and manufacturing is not doing as well. So the economy is definitely slowing. We're faced with higher inflation rates that are not acceptable by the Federal Reserve and higher interest rates. So it almost matches that. Again, the end of the 1970s, was we look back upon it, that was not as good a time. Creighton University economist Dr. Ernie Goss. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, March 7th. Dr. Goss posts periodic writings at economictrends.blogspot.com. You can read his further thoughts on raising the Social Security retirement age at that site. Still to come, an Iowa labor settlement, and later a business profile of a company that broke ground this past week on a major north-central Iowa expansion. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The open road stretching out its arms, wind sailing through your hair. Feel the thrill in your very own little red Italian sports car. You know, the one that starts with an F. Wow, that's a nice Fiat. Camp Courageous is raffling off a 2013 Fiat 500 of ours. Get your $25 raffle ticket at CampCourageous.org. All proceeds directly impact the mission of Camp Courageous. Get your raffle ticket now at CampCourageous.org. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. 
A quartet of employees at a Northeast Iowa company won their case at the National Labor Relations Board recently. Mark Mix is president of the National Right to Work Legal Foundation, which provided legal support for the group. Unfortunately, this is a story that happens way too often and rarely gets the attention that it deserves because these are courageous workers up in uh, northeast Iowa who basically decided, uh, exercising their rights under not only the National Labor Relations Act, but also Iowa's right to work law, to get out and to basically withdraw their support for a labor union. For whatever reason, these employees had a reason to go to the union and say, look, we don't want to be members of the union anymore. And what that means, Jeff, basically is they're saying, we're not supportive of what you're doing. And, and when they say that, that can be as a result of lots of different things the union does. Because when you're a member of the union, your money goes to support the operations of the union. And oftentimes, Jeff, that support ends up being for political causes or ideological causes that you disagree with. And so one of the attractions of a right-to-work law is it says, I can hold you, Mr. Union official, accountable for the things that you do, not only in the workplace, but also what you do, more than not, what you're doing outside of the workplace. And these four workers stood up, and they decided to exercise their rights. And it was interesting because Donaldson, the company, the air filter company up in Cresco, and the UAW basically said they gave them false information about what their rights were. And they said, look, you can't get out of the union until the contract expires, which is not true. And then the union kept taking money from them without being able to prove that they'd ever had the authorization from these workers to have that money taken out of their paycheck. And so these workers got well-informed about their rights. They called our foundation. Our foundation helped them through this process, and now they've got a settlement. They're going to get their money back that was illegally taken from them. We still have charges going against the company for taking the money out and telling them that they couldn't get out of the union. That's ongoing, but the settlement here gets their money back, and it requires the union to post a notice about what the actual rights of employees are in the state of Iowa under the National Labor Relations Act and your right-to-work law. Coming up, a major manufacturing expansion. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. We're hitting the road in April to share stories from the Iowa Almanac with you in person. Join us in Conrad, Toledo, Earlham, Tabor, Bondurant, Indianola, and Shenandoah. It's all free and open to the public. Get details on where we'll be next by clicking on the Events tab at iowaalmanac.com. That's the Events tab at iowaalmanac.com, and I'll see you there. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the new Iowa Competitive Dashboard data by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. In our business profile segment this week, you'll learn about Brock Grain Systems and its plant in Sheffield, Iowa. Ground was broken this past week on a major expansion of their manufacturing facility there. John Tuttle is Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Brock Grain Systems. Brock Grain Systems actually celebrated our 65th anniversary in 2022. So it's a company with a long heritage, long legacy. We've been manufacturing grain bins and equipment accessories to support those since 1957, actually. So a long history there. We're based in Milford, Indiana, but we do have manufacturing locations and other locations as well. And, you know, one of the big parts of Brock is 
1997, we acquired the grain bin division of Butler Manufacturing. Butler is a, a very popular name in the grain bin industry. And so that's all under the Brock umbrella now. In uh, 2002, we became a wholly owned subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. And so we're a part of the Berkshire companies right now. You have a facility in Sheffield that some folks might have known by the name Hall Industries or Lamar Industries prior to being acquired by Brock, and you have major expansion plans for that Sheffield facility. We sure do. That's been a great location for us. And actually, we designed and launched a brand new product line that's built in our Sheffield facility about four years ago. It's grain bed unloading equipment uh, that we refer to as the Series 1500 bed unloading equipment. And the popularity of that product, both in customer level and through our dealer organization, has been very strong. Because of the robust sales activity and the demand for that product, we've determined that we need to expand that facility quite significantly. It's going to bring a lot of great advantages for us, both in terms of capacity and and also in terms of manufacturing efficiency. What exactly do you manufacture at Sheffield? You mentioned this new transport conveyor product, but what are some of the products that Sheffield produces in particular? Yeah, the two primary products there is the Series 1500 grain bin unloading equipment. It's essentially a power sweep device that goes in the bottom of a grain bin. And uh, when you unload the bin, it augers the grain outside. That's where we've seen significant growth is in that product line. You also mentioned our transport conveyor product, which is a very specialized product. Those are quite large, high capacity belt conveyors uh, rated at up to 25,000 bushels per hour. And those conveyors are designed specifically to fill temporary storage facilities, primarily in the commercial grain space. But we also manufacture those there as well. This expansion that is being planned for Sheffield, no small square footage, 20,000 square foot expansion. How does that compare with the rest of the plant? What kind of an addition proportionately roughly is this? Yeah, we're adding about a third of additional space there. So it's a pretty sizable expansion. However, I think the key thing is what it does for us for layout and efficiency. It's really going to help make our operation there much more efficient, again, which will deliver more capacity, but also just on a more efficient basis. So 20,000 square foot expansion, and that's no small investment financially either in the community and in this plant. Well, that's for sure. I mean, this is a great opportunity for Brock. The growth is certainly there to support this. And the Sheffield facility has been a great facility for Brock uh, since the acquisition. It's our pleasure to be able to invest more dollars in the community there and likely need to hire more people over time as well as the growth continues. Again, the growth is driving it, uh, but we feel very confident about the Sheffield community. The workforce there has been fantastic for us. It's very reliable. These are products. It's reasonably heavy manufacturing, uh, welding, forming, assembly, et cetera. And uh, you can't beat the work ethic in that region. And so, you know, it's again, it's our pleasure to be able to invest in the community there. And potentially up to 10 new jobs. That's absolutely right. Things just happen to be going well for us there right now, and it's exciting to be able to invest like that and grow and support the community, our dealer network, and then also end customers. 
And the project contractor is no stranger to people in the area. It's from the area, so not only are you investing in Sheffield, the folks who are going to be building this are from that same region. Right. That was important for us, you know, to make sure. And and they delivered a fantastic proposal for us. So it, it all makes sense and, and it all comes together. That just drives more economic stability in the region all the way around. Dean Snyder Construction of Clear Lake, the general project contractor on this. So as you look ahead to the next, let's say, five years, what are some of the opportunities for Brock Grain and what are some of the challenges that you can anticipate? We certainly see customers, farmers wanting to upgrade and centralize their facilities. They're looking for more capacity, more automation. They're looking for ways to reduce the amount of labor that's required to run their operation. And the products that we design and manufacture are designed to do specifically that. And so although there have been uh, grain systems built across the country, you know, starting in the 60s. A lot of those now are too small and in the wrong place. And so as we see customers upgrading their facilities, farmers consolidating their operations and growing, getting larger, trend line yields for all commodities continue to improve year over year on average. And so there's a lot of opportunity there for us to continue to provide innovative products into the market space. On the challenging side of it, um, you know, one of the things we're facing a lot right now is constraints on labor, labor to work in our plants. As a way to help offset that, we continue internally to look at ways to design, manufacture, and ship our products in a way that makes them quicker and easier to install in the field. John Tuttle, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Brock Grain Systems. We connected via Zoom on Monday, April 3rd. More online at brockgrain.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.